Well, good morning and welcome to Scotts Hill Baptist Church. So glad that all of you are here this morning. If you are a guest with us this morning, my name is Phil Ortigo. I serve as a senior pastor and we're glad to have you here. Those of you who are watching us online, we're glad to have you join us as well. Well, this has been a quite an exciting weekend uh, for many of us. It started pretty early. How many of you saw some fireworks this weekend? Raise your hand. Yeah, we got to go to Topsail Island, got parked out there on Wednesday night, got to watch the fireworks display for 13 minutes and for two hours stuck in traffic. Yeah, America, baby. Yeah, <laughs> love it, huh? But some of you have been to a lot of different fireworks. I mean, I've heard them all night. And I heard them last night, and I believe these tents that are set up with leftover fireworks, some of you are buying them at discounts, and we're going to hear them for the next month, right? But we're celebrating freedom, and, and what's amazing to me is as I considered some of our founding fathers and the history of our founding fathers, I was amazed, um, perplexed, even confused at a few things that I had discovered. For example, some of the founding fathers who, who worked hard, who penned the documents declaring our independence as a nation, some of those men who would be willing to fight and to die for the freedom of our country, some of those men who even penned the words to the Declaration of Independence that we are created by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, and the rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Some of the ones who even were involved in that document, Thomas Jefferson, for example, was one who was willing to fight and die for the liberty of our nation and for us to be free. I discovered this week that he had over 600 slaves in his lifetime. And I, I was a little bit perplexed by that. I was a little bit confused by that. And I was confused because some of it doesn't seem quite congruent with the very things that we're talking about, liberty and, and life and the pursuit of happiness, and yet we are fighting to be free, but we will have no hesitancy to remove the freedom for others for our own cause. And through the course of that, the terrible institution of slavery continued to be developed. It is unjust. It is ungodly. It's unbiblical. And it took a civil war to break the yoke of slavery. It took a president who had courage, who would stand against those of the culture, who would be misunderstood, who would be misaligned, who would be misrepresented, who would be assassinated for his cause, Abraham Lincoln. It was on New Year's Day of 1863 that Abraham Lincoln stood and he delivered for the first time his, his Emancipation Proclamation. For the first time he ever declared that. It wasn't until December the 18th of 1865 that Emancipation Proclamation became a reality. Almost a year after Abraham Lincoln's assassination, there came the amendment to the Constitution of setting slaves free. The word of that freedom began to spread all across Capitol Hill. It began to go through the hills and the valleys of Virginia. It found its way on the back roads of the Carolinas. Ultimately, that word, that news that slavery had been legally abolished began to work its way into the Deep South, working its way through Georgia and Alabama and Mississippi into the plantations of Louisiana. 
And finally, throughout our nation, it was very clear that slavery was abolished for good. But an interesting thing happened, particularly in the South. Most of those people who had grown up to be slaves all their lives, even after that emancipation proclamation, they continued to live on the plantations and to put themselves under the cruel mastery of their old servants. They lived in fear and squalor, and they continued to live like slaves. One reporter made his way to Alabama, and he found an old former slave and he asked him, he says, how do you feel about the great emancipator who made the proclamation to set you free? And here was his response. He said, I don't know nothing about Abraham Lincoln, except they say he sought us free. And I don't know nothing about that neither. And what was tragic was a war was fought, a president was assassinated, an amendment to the Constitution was made, and people continue to live in slavery. Living under their old masters and the cruelty of their ways. Now, we might scratch our heads at that and we might say, that just doesn't make sense. How can people do that? Let me tell you something more tragic than that. That's for children of God who've been set free by the great emancipator, Jesus Christ, and have been given the rights to freedom and liberty and yet we choose to live in the squalor of slavery. We choose to live under maybe the, the restraints and the commands and the dictations of the old master. And rather than living as free, we're letting certain things enslave us through the course of our lives. We allow things such as fear to enslave us. Maybe things such as guilt, failure, worry, anxiety, discouragement, resentment. The list can go on and on. And we've been set free from all of these things, and yet we choose to live under the bondage and live contrary to what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Today I'm beginning a brand new series called Free, Liberated by Jesus. And for the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at all the ways that Jesus has set us free. This series primarily is going to be speaking to believers. And we're going to be looking at what we have in Christ and the freedom that we are called to live. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to have several weeks, in fact, we're going to be looking at a number of different topics because in the arsenal of the enemy, our old master... He has a numerous weapons that he wants to use to enslave us. And while we're going to look at these various weapons and we're going to look at the strategy of the Word of God of how to overcome those, today we must begin with the most foundational, pivotal, baseline truth to our freedom in Christ. In fact, if we don't get this right, we don't get any of it right. If we don't understand the most simple foundational truth of our freedom in Christ, we will live our lives in slavery of many other things. If you have your Bibles this morning, open to Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. I like to say that we're going to look at one verse, but we're not. We're going to look at a lot of verses. And you're looking at your outline right now, and you're thinking you should have brought your lunch. <laughs> or maybe supper. 
But we're going to move through this pretty quickly. And this is pivotal. This is important. Because again, if we don't get this right, we don't understand true liberty in Jesus. As you're turning to Galatians 5, verse 1, let me give you the kind of the background of the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians is what is known as Paul's fighting epistle. He is fighting in this. And what is he fighting for? The theme is freedom. He's fighting for freedom. And all through this letter, he's writing about the freedom that we have in Christ. Why is he doing that? Because certain men have come into the life of the church known as Judaizers and were teaching heresy. They were teaching that, yeah, Jesus is the beginning for salvation, but the law is the completion for salvation. So not only do I must surrender my life to Christ, but I have to keep living by all of these rules and these regulations. It's not Jesus only, it's Jesus plus something else. And it's heresy. So Paul is coming against this. Now, he's not writing this himself. He's dictating it to someone. And you can imagine Paul pacing back and forth as he's dictating this letter. And chapter 5 becomes a crescendo as he begins to become very passionate about this issue of freedom. And then in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, he declares, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. It is for freedom Christ has set us free. Take your stand and do not go back to the things that once enslaved you. As we look at this passage, we're going to look at three things, three specific truths that we're going to unpack from this passage this morning. We're going to move very quickly through these, but these, as I said, are foundational that we must understand if we're going to understand true freedom. Would you pray with me before we do that? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth therein. We ask, Father, and I ask that you would enable me to communicate in a right way the truth of what you have for us today. And Father, as we learn this truth, may we learn maybe something new. Maybe be reminded of something we've already known about the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ, and we pray in his name, amen. I want to talk to you about the three things about this passage, okay? Number one, the Apostle Paul gives us the source of our freedom. The source of our freedom. The source of our freedom is Jesus Christ. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. It is Jesus himself who is the emancipator of our lives. He is the one that sets us free. We don't set ourselves free. It is only through a relationship with Jesus Christ that we and I can have true biblical freedom. Now, we're living in a culture today that has jettisoned that thought. We're living in a culture today that wants to be liberated. Matter of fact, the word liberal and liberated was originally designed to cast aside the things of God and to remove the, the restraints of our lives so we can do what we want. And our culture's view of liberty is this, to do what I want, when I want it, how I want it, however much I want it, any time that I want it. Our culture's view of liberty is no restraints, no, no boundaries, nothing to hold me back. My friend, that is not liberty. That's slavery. Let me give you illustrations. The person who wants no restraints with the use of alcohol becomes enslaved to alcohol. 
The person who wants no restraints with the use of any kind of substance becomes enslaved to that substance. The person who wants no restraints with regards to food and gluttony becomes enslaved to food and gluttony. The person who wants no restraints in relationships becomes a slave to those things. The reality is this. When there are no restraints and we live as freely as we want to live, we become enslaved to the things that we pursue. And we go deeper into slavery. Peter writes this in chapter 2, verse 19. He's speaking of those false teachers that have come into the church. He says, they promise them freedom. But they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Jesus says this in John 8, 34. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The word practice sin is a present active indicative, which means keeps on living in sin, is a slave to sin. Romans chapter 6, verse 20, what Jeff read earlier. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free... In regards of righteousness. See, the reality is this. When we have no restraints and we live how we want, we are slaves to sin and we are free only to sin. We're not free to do righteous things. Now, are you saying that a sinner cannot do anything good? No, they can do good things, but they can never do the things that please the heart of God because they're enslaved to sin. So what does Jesus do for us? How does he set us free? There are three things that we see that Jesus does in setting us free. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 11. And in this we see three ways that Jesus frees us. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, so much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Now there, more than that, we also rejoice in God through whom we have now received reconciliation. There are three things. And I'm going to go through these really quickly, okay? So you're going to write these down. We're going to move forward. They're foundational. For many of you, they're already what you know, but you may have forgotten. But here's... The ways that Jesus provided freedom. Number one, through his sacrificial death on the cross. Through his death on the cross, his sacrificial death, you and I can experience freedom. Why? Why? We say that all the time. Why? Here's why. You and I offended God because of our sin. We committed high treason against the God of the universe. And high treason requires death. And what did Jesus do? He died in our place. He took that sin of high treason. He went to the cross where you and I deserve to die from eternity past. It was determined by the Father that Jesus would die for you. Remember on the day of his trial, Pilate stood Jesus up there and the people kept screaming, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate had this idea, okay, I'll send Barabbas up there. Barabbas was a criminal. He was a murderer. He was an insurrectionist. He committed high treason. He was in prison on a death penalty, waiting to die. And Pilate put Jesus and put Barabbas. And who did the crowd choose? Barabbas. And Jesus died for high treason in his place. Barabbas was free to go. No longer again condemned for that crime. 
And when Jesus died, he provided the freedom by taking our place on the cross. Zechariah writes in the Old Testament of Jesus in a prophetic way, as for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set prisoners free. It's because of his sacrificial death. You and I are free from that sentence. But here's the second way Jesus did it. Through his satisfying the wrath of God towards sin. Now most of us know, yes, well I understand, Jesus died sacrificially for me to set me free. But what's this thing of satisfying the wrath of God? God's wrath is his fixed anger towards sin. It never changes. It's not ambivalent. God doesn't fly off the handle. God always has the same attitude towards sin. doesn't matter what our culture says. doesn't matter how our culture redefines sin. Now or 100 years from now, God will always hate sin. And he will never wink at sin. He will never just let it go because he's a just God, because he's a righteous God. Sin must be paid for. It must be satisfied. And how does he satisfy it? Through his son. When Jesus went to the cross, not only did he die in your place, listen, he took the full wrath of God that you deserved. He who knew no sin, who was perfect, who was only in perfect fellowship with the Father from eternity past, became the full bear of God's wrath instead of you and me. John puts it this way in 1 John chapter 2. Verse 2, he is the propitiation for our sins. That big word means he is the one who satisfied God's wrath forever. He once and for all appeased the wrath of God. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus, as the propitiation, satisfied God's wrath, which should have been yours. And he brings us freedom. Here's the third thing. Through his reconciling sinners to God. He reconciled sinners to God. In this passage in Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 11, two times he says that Jesus reconciled us to God. Now, reconciliation says that there was something not right in the relationship, and it wasn't. We were enemies of God. In our sin, in our sinfulness, before relationship with Christ, we are enemies with God. But when Jesus went to the cross and sacrificed his life on our behalf, when he received the full wrath and the satisfaction of God's wrath towards sin, reconciliation begins. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says this. Can you put that up there? 2 Corinthians. It just froze up. I'm in trouble. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19 says, In Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So there's reconciliation. What are we reconciled to? Let me give you three things we're reconciled to. Number one, we're reconciled through what does he do? He forgives us. He forgives us. Reconciliation, God forgives us of our sin. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Listen, when he forgives you of your sin, you know what that word means in, in the Greek? Forgiveness means to release a debt. That he has canceled the debt. I owe God nothing because of what Jesus did on the cross. I am forgiven of my sin. Now, here's something else. God not only forgives us, but he forgets the sin. You and I do not have the capacity to forget people's hurts or offenses towards us. We might say, yeah, I forgive you. 
And then we remember something later of what they've done. And it may bring up all those feelings again, but not with God. He's the only one who has a capacity to remember our sins no more. And he forgives us our sins. But not only does he forgive our sins, the second thing he does, he adopts us as his children. Here's what's amazing. It's one thing to forgive a criminal. It's another thing to adopt that criminal as your son or daughter. And that's what he did. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, it says that we were predestined to the adoption as sons through Jesus Christ our Lord. Not only does God forgive us of our sins, but he invites us into his family. We become his sons and his daughters. That's why John is blown away in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. He says, behold, what manner of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the sons and daughters of God? Are you kidding me? He not only forgives me, but he adopts me as his child. Here's the third thing he does. Not only does he forgive us and adopt us, but he seals us until the day of redemption. You know what that word seals means? It means ownership. We are sealed with the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit himself takes up residency within us and we are sealed. You know what a seal means? It means ownership. If a person puts a seal on something in those biblical days, it was a seal for ownership. It belonged to that person. When they sent a letter and it had a seal on it, it belonged to that person. If they sent a package, I don't know if they sent packages, UPS, whatever it was, but they sent it, it belonged to that person. And the point is this, you belong to God. Not only through this reconciliation are you forgiving, your debts are cleared. Not only are you a son or a daughter of God, but you belong to him for eternity. That is the incredible freedom that we have. Now listen to this. Listen. The entire trinity was involved in your salvation. The Father who reconciles you, the Son who dies for you, the Holy Spirit who seals you. And not only that, the entire trinity is involved in your freedom in Jesus Christ. It came with an incredible price. That is the source of your freedom. And that's the freedom that we have. Paul says the source of your freedom is Jesus, which points to the Father and points to the Holy Spirit who lives in you. Now, there's the source of your freedom. Now comes the good part, the scope of our freedom. The scope of our freedom. What's the scope of our freedom? How far does our freedom go? We see what Jesus did to give us freedom, but what did he free us from? Let me give you five things Jesus freed you and me from. These five things are absolutely significant to your Christian life. Number one, we are freed from the curse of the law. We're freed from the curse of the law. What does that mean? That means we live under grace. We live under grace. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Paul writes this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. What is the law? The law is the law of Moses. And the law of Moses consisted of 613 rules and regulations that the Jews had to follow. Those 613 rules and regulations were put around the Ten Commandments. And those 613 rules and regulations became the measure of a person's spirituality. Now, the Jews created it to be a legalistic approach. 
And as a result, everything became a process of legalism. But let me say something about the law. The law was never designed to make a person righteous or holy. The law was a tutor. And the law was for the purpose of showing how unrighteous and how unholy we are. The law is perfect, but we are not. The law is good, but we are not. And every time a person put themselves up to the law, they failed miserably because they couldn't keep it. Listen, if you could keep 612 of the 613, you were still condemned for the one law you broke. Because the law was ruthless. The law was without mercy. Let me give you an illustration. Let's say you're driving down I-140 in your automobile. And you have your car set on cruise. And the speed limit is 70 miles an hour. And you have your set on cruise at 72 miles an hour. Now, I know nobody in this room would ever do that. It'd be more like 78 or 79, right? Because I've, 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 um, I've passed some of you. <laughs> I was trying not to say that. But, but you're, you're cruising at 72 miles an hour. You're just going along. All of a sudden, you see these blue lights behind you. Woo! Your stomach just drops. You, and the first thing you do is you look at your speed. Well, I'm doing 72. What's wrong? And you pull over. And the police officer comes to your window. He knocks on it. He says, do you know why I stopped you? Well, no. I stopped you because you were speeding. The speed limit is 72. But officer, I was only going 72. So you just admit that you were breaking the law. And then you say to the officer, no, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Look, I've never gotten a ticket before. I've never, ever gotten a ticket for speeding or anything before. As a matter of fact, I'm a good, upstanding citizen. I have never been in trouble with the law, never been in trouble with authorities, never broken a, 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 any kind of things that would validate as a crime. Surely all of the good things that I've done should outweigh this one thing. You know what he would say to you? Sign here, please. He didn't care. Why? Because you violated the law. Here's the problem. The curse of the law says this. We can't measure up. But what does God do instead of the law? He gives us grace. Grace which is unmerited. Grace which is undeserving. And I am accepted by God, not by my works, but by the works of Jesus Christ on the cross 2,000 years ago. And everything from that point on is only because of grace. And he sets me free from trying to measure up by following the law. Now let me say something. That doesn't mean I don't continue to pursue living according to God's word. You see, here's the difference. I don't pursue the law so I can earn my salvation. I don't pursue the law so I can keep my salvation. I pursue the law because of my salvation. And because of the grace of God, I want to please him. But it's never going to be based upon my ability to keep it or fail in it. It's always in what Jesus did for me. He sets us free from the curse of law. Secondly, we're free from the penalty of sin. It's justification. I'm going to make this real short. The penalty of sin. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
the penalty sin is death. We deserve to die. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, we are set free from the penalty of sin. You and I do not have to pay the price for our sin. Jesus did it. Instead, what does he give us? Justification. Justification is a one-time act where God counts us as righteous. But not only does he count us as righteous, get this, he counts us as the righteousness of Christ. Because of what he's done on the cross for me, and because of my acceptance of him, I am counted to be equally as righteous as Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean I am now, but I'm counted that way. And the record in heaven is of my justification. Let me give you an illustration. A man in England buys a Rolls Royce. He loves his Rolls Royce. He's had it for several months. And, and he decides that he wants to take his Rolls Royce to France to tour the countryside. So he gets on a ferry and he goes across the English Channel and he gets over to France. And he is touring the beautiful countryside of France. He comes to a small town and his Rolls Royce breaks down. He goes to the local mechanics, but nobody will touch it because it's a Rolls Royce. They don't know how to work on it. And so he contacts the company, and they immediately send him a mechanic. They fly a mechanic over to this little town. This mechanic begins to work on this Rolls Royce. He fixes it, gets it running, gets on his plane, flies back to England. And the man is thinking, what is this going to cost me? My goodness. They flew a mechanic. He worked. He went back. I don't even know how much this is going to cost. So he continues with his little trip, goes back to England, but there's no bill. Finally, he contacts Rolls Royce. And he says, listen, my car broke down. You sent a mechanic over there to fix it. And I just want to know how much is this bill going to be? And Rolls Royce sends him a letter and says, dear sir, we have no record on file of a Rolls Royce ever breaking down at any place for any reason at any time. It's justification. Let me tell you how significant that is for you and me. There are times you and I are going to steer our lives into the ditch. There are times you and I are going to have flat tires. There are times you and I are going to break down. There are times you and I are going to blow it. And the Father says, I have no record in heaven of any of that being true because you are counted as righteous. Isn't that freeing? And we're walking in justification in that way. Here's the third thing. We live from the power, we're free from the power of sin. That's sanctification. Justification is a one-time act that happens at salvation. I am counted as righteous. Sanctification is a daily process where the Holy Spirit keeps using to make me more like Jesus. For the first time in my life, I have power to overcome sin. Before I had a relationship with Jesus, I was enslaved to sin. Now the Holy Spirit who lives within me gives me the power to overcome something I've never had power to do before. The same power that rose, raised Jesus from the dead is the same one that lives in you. And you have the power over sin. Sanctification is that process where every single day the Holy Spirit is working in your life. And what is he doing? He's trying to make you more like Jesus. Let me give you a quick illustration of sanctification. It's like an iceberg. Do you know that an iceberg is a very, very large thing? You see a huge iceberg in the ocean, but only 10% of an iceberg is on the top of the water. 90% is underwater. 
So only 10%. What happens is the sun begins to melt that iceberg, but it works only on the 10%. And as that 10% melts, that iceberg continues to rise to the surface until the sun continues to burn it off all through its existence. Sanctification is the same thing. The Holy Spirit doesn't deal with your whole life at once. You can't handle it. He deals with our lives in increments. He works in the 10%. And as he's constantly burning the character of Christ in us and making us more like Jesus, that 10% is melting away and we are rising to the surface and he's continuing to do that work all through our lives. We never come to perfection. But we gain ground through our whole life with the power over sin and becoming more like Jesus. Why? Because we've died to it. Paul says he who has died to sin is set free from it. Here's the fourth way, fourth thing that Jesus sets us free from. He sets us free from the condemnation of sin. We have liberation. Not only do we have justification and sanctification, but there's liberation We are set free from the condemnation of sin. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. There's a term in legal circles that's known as double jeopardy. Do you know what double jeopardy is? It means this. It means that if you have ever been acquitted of a crime, you can never again be charged for that same crime. You can never be. The reality in Christ is this. We have been acquitted of our sin. And we can never again be charged for that. Because Christ has set us free. And we can walk in no condemnation. That we can know that we walk in the forgiveness of Christ. We know that we walk in in the real reality that I'm his son. I'm his daughter. And I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit. And there's therefore no condemnation. Now I'm telling you what the enemy would do. He will condemn you. He will bring back your failures. He will bring back your failures and temptation. He will bring back all of your shortcomings. He will bring back things and say you can never be a good Christian. That's condemnation. The devil will use guilt to condemn you. The Holy Spirit uses conviction to energize you. Where the devil wants to paralyze you. You see, the devil wants to condemn. Jesus wants to change. And that's what he does. So there's no condemnation. I'm free from my past. Here's the last thing. We will one day be free from the presence of sin. Boy, I'll be glad of that. Free from the presence of sin. That's glorification. That means that there's going to come a day where we're going to stand in the presence of Jesus and we will be like him. We see him as he is. Romans 8.30 says this, And those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. That means this. There's going to come a day where sin will no longer even be present in our lives. But that's the reality of this. That I'm not living in the temporal. I'm living for eternity. I'm not living for now, I'm living for then. And so one day I'm going to stand with my Lord and my Savior. And finally, there will be no sin, there will be no sickness, there will be no pain, there will be no difficulties, there will be no struggles. There will be the glory of being with Jesus forever. And Paul says this, this light momentary affliction 
does not compare to the eternal weight of glory that we have in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. And that's the promise. Now, we understand this. He set us free from these things. We understand the scope of it. We understand the source of it. But here's the last thing I want to speak to you very quickly. The struggle. What is the struggle of our freedom? The struggle of our freedom is this. While we walk in understanding this and saying this mentally and we say it verbally, there's a struggle for us. Because the enemy is constantly pressing in on us. Our flesh is constantly trying to condemn us. The world is constantly trying to entice us. That evil trinity, the world, the flesh, and the devil are at work in us and around us. That's why Paul says this. He concludes this by saying, Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit to a yoke of slavery. He gives a positive command and a negative command. Let's look at the positive command. The positive command is stand firm. It is in the present imperative, which translates like this. Keep standing firm. It's a command. Keep standing firm in the grace of Jesus. Keep standing firm in the justification that has been given to you. Keep standing firm in the sanctification that is at work within you. Keep standing firm in the liberation because there's no condemnation. Keep standing firm because one day you will be glorified with the Lord Jesus Christ. Stand firm in your freedom. He could have ended it like that, but he didn't. He goes to a negative command. <laughs> And do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Again, this is a command. It's an imperative. It's present tense. Translated from the Greek to English literally means this. Stop submitting to yokes that enslave you. Stop it. Why does he say stand strong and then stop it? Because he knows the propensity of every one of us is to drift back into slavery. You know what a yoke is? A yoke is a heavy wooden apparatus that's put on an animal. And when it's on that animal, that animal is constrained. He cannot do what he wants to do. He's at the control of his master. That master controls every single move of that animal's life. It's only when that yoke is removed that he is free. And he's saying this, do not have yokes that enslave you. Don't go back to the yoke of fear. You've been set free of that. Don't go back to the yoke of guilt. There's no condemnation. Don't go back to the yoke of worry and anxiety. Don't go back to the work of resentment and bitterness. Don't go back to the yoke of anger. Because you've been set free. Stand firm. He says, for freedom you have been set free. In Galatians 5.13, for you were called to freedom. Peter says, live as people who are free. Let me tell you. We do not need to be like the old slaves who go back to the plantations. We do not need to be like the old slaves who stay under the cruel task of their masters. We are free. We're free. Three things. Real quick. I know I kept telling you real quick, but real quick. Real, real quick. You're saying shut up and get on with it. Those people who are laughing are the ones who are thinking that. <laughs> Number one, 
thank him for your freedom. When's the last time you just thanked him for your freedom? Oh, we thank him all the time for the free country we live in, and that's wonderful. I'm so grateful for that. But I'm more grateful for the spiritual freedom I have. Thank him for your freedom. Secondly, trust him for your freedom. Everything he's done. Thirdly, I know you think it's going to start with a T, but it doesn't. Walk in your freedom. Walk in your freedom. Live as men and women who are free. Jesus has done everything necessary for you to live freely. Embrace that. Walk in it. As I said, in the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at all the pieces of the arsenal of the enemy of what he wants to do to enslave us and how we can be free. If you're a believer here today, these are tools for you to be able to walk freely. If you're not a believer here today, my friend, the invitation to you by the Lord Jesus himself is he's done everything for your freedom. Don't walk out of here in slavery. Surrender to him. Commit your life to Christ and enjoy a freedom that you've never, ever known. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Father, as we walk through these days of looking at the things that you have freed us from, Father, may we be free indeed. Thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ. We trust you for that freedom every day. Father, may we thrive in that freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. I found my third T. It's thrive. For those of you who tuned me out while I was praying, it's thrive. Write it down. God bless you. Have a great day.